Living with Diabetes, a podcast from Diabetes Victoria with Jack Fitzpatrick. Hello, one and all. Thanks for tuning in to Living Well with Diabetes, the official Diabetes Victoria podcast. This is a great forum for those of us impacted by diabetes, whether it be directly or indirectly, to discuss ideas, share stories, and build our diabetes community. I'm Jack Fitzpatrick, ex-Melbourne and Hawthorne AFL player and current Diabetes Victoria ambassador. Before we begin, I would like to acknowledge the traditional landowners and custodians of the land of which we are meeting today, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, and indeed to the traditional owners of the lands on which you may be tuning in from. I would also like to pay my respects to the elders past, present and emerging, and to other Aboriginal people present today. For this podcast, I'm joined by a man who has just recently finished his first 12 months in state parliament. Importantly though, not only is he Labor's member of the Victorian government for Melton, but he's also a member of the Type 2 Diabetes community. Steve McGee, welcome. Thank you, Jack. How was the introduction? Was it okay? Introduction was terrific. Yeah, well done. <laughs> Thank you very much. Uh, first 12 months in, in Parliament, how was it? Oh, no, it was good. It was great. It went very quickly and a uh, lot to do out in the electorate of Melton and uh, hopefully we'll get a few things done out there. But no, it was an interesting experience being in Parliament. I, I can only imagine. Um I thought before we started talking about your story with diabetes and, and your experiences, I, I thought we'd actually just get a, a, a good indication of yourself and your story and, and sort of how you got into Parliament. So we might as well go back right to the start. Are you Victorian born and bred? Have you always been out the west of Melbourne? Uh, Victorian born and bred, born and bred in Braybrook uh, and grew up in Braybrook for many, many years, probably until about 30 years, and then moved from there to West Footscray, uh, always been around the western suburbs. But back in 1990, my wife and I decided to move out to the bush and we bought a little property out in Bunnyong and that's where we've lived ever since. But always had always worked in Melbourne and uh, worked as a paramedic for 15 years and then uh, was the secretary of the Ambulance Union for 23 years in which I retired in July of 2018 and thought I was going to go off travelling. Uh, and I got a call three weeks out from the last state election in no- November uh, 2018 and stood in the seat of Melton and got elected. Well, congratulations on that. So um, went to school, obviously, out in the western suburbs, and um, as you said, you're Footscray and, and uh, sorry, West Footscray, Braybrook, et cetera. When you're going to school, um, was it always being a paramedic that you always thought you would want to do? Was, was Parliament ever something that was in your mind? I uh, went to Maidstone Primary and then went to Tottenham Tech and then Footscray TAFE College. Um, look, I always, our family always had an interest in left side of politics and also trade unionism, um, never, ever, ever envisaged going into politics. Uh, I suppose to some degree I was involved in a level of politics when I was the Secretary of the Ambulance Union. Obviously, you're dealing with governments and you know, bureaucratic departments all the time. Uh, so I never envisaged it. When I went to tech school, I thought I was going to be a plumber, uh, and that changed because back in those years they tried to encourage more and more students to go on and do it wasn't VCE in those days, but the equivalent of VCE in those days. And um, so I went to Footscray TAFE and did my year 12 and and just went on from there. So yeah, 15 years, you said you were a paramedic for before then moving to become the, the president, is that? Is that Secretary, Secretary of the Secretary, Union, sorry. yeah. Yeah, so 15 years as a paramedic, mainly working in the western suburbs. Um, did 13 years at Sunshine Ambulance Branch and a couple of years at St Albans. And scattered out throughout the West, Footscray, Melton, Bacchus Marsh, always filled in at branches right throughout the West. So it's a fantastic experience. Great job. I mean, I do miss that job, but, uh, you know, that's well behind me now. 
And obviously the Western suburbs where you're growing up and then, you know, now where you're the, the MP for, it's obviously something that's pretty close to your heart. Oh, yeah. I mean, the West has changed so much in, since my childhood and uh, it's fantastic. I love it. I love the, you know, the way it's growing and developing and the diverse communities throughout the West. You know, as I say, when I was brought up in the Western suburbs, but in particular in Braybrook, you know, it was a, a housing commission area probably low socioeconomic area, but, you know, people got on and shared things and, you know, sport was the background of the West and, you know, we're all into football and basketball, cricket, those sorts of things. Um, you try everything in those days. Families were united and look after each other. You could play in the streets in safety and all that sort of stuff. I mean, we would have little mini football games and mini test cricket, cricket games in our street. You know, we lived in a court and uh, it was just magnificent. And then finally, to getting into politics. So you say you'd retired and we're just about to set off and start doing some travelling. Now, I'm assuming it's a little bit more than just one phone call that got you into it, or was it very much after that phone call you were convinced and you decided to jump in? Well, there were actually two phone calls, but the initial phone call was just to to run the proposition past me, and then there was a second phone call the next day. And, you know, through a discussion, you know, within those two phone calls, uh, it eventuated that I agreed to stand and that was three weeks out from the state election. So I had three weeks to campaign and uh, which was quite interesting because I was going in for some hip surgery a couple of days later. And uh, so we did that and we got on the campaign trail, uh, I think, about two and a half weeks out from the election. And before that, had you had any involvement in this? Obviously, you said you were dealing with with governments and stuff in your position as secretary um, of the paramedics or ambulance union, I suppose. Like, was that the experience you sort of needed? And I mean, that past experience of being the secretary of the union certainly helped. There's no question about that. I mean, I'd been a Labor Party member since 2007. So apart from just being at local branch meetings, I'd not been directly involved in politics apart from the union stuff. And then we move on to your story now and, and talking about your health journey, I guess, which is probably more more than just getting diabetes. And I say just in inverted commas because we all know that diabetes is uh, more than serious enough as it is. You've always been relatively fit. You said you spoke, uh, you grow up, you were playing sport and um, all these kinds of things. But then you, you probably, uh, a few years ago, you had your first health issue, which you might want to elaborate on. Well, um, my family's always been very sporting minded and, uh, you know, I, I played a lot of sport, played football until I was mid thirties, played basketball until I was well into my forties. Um, but, uh, when I was 45, I, um, and you'd think a paramedic would pick up on this, but I had a, a dull ache in my chest and I wouldn't have done anything about it. It wasn't the typical signs and symptoms of anything to do with your heart, but I, I had my first heart attack at 45. Um, and I had a stent put in, uh, and then five years later I had a second heart attack, uh, and yet I was still fit, still exercising, still getting on with life, things were good. Uh, I'd never been sick in my life. I never get sick, um, which is, I'm lucky, touch wood, uh, but I'd had two heart attacks by the time I was 50, and uh, anyway, you just got to get on with things. And then four years ago, um, which I was a bit surprised about. Um, I was diagnosed with type 2 diabetes, um, which came as a bit of a shock because I didn't think I had diabetes, but that's another thing. My mother did have diabetes and she died at 48 um, and hers was type 2, but no one else in the family that I'm aware of has diabetes at this stage. 
And was your mother's passing uh, as a relation to diabetes or complications as a result of diabetes? Uh, my mother's passing was um, she had a cerebral hemorrhage and a massive cerebral hemorrhage and bled out and um, died over a period of about 12 hours. But um, it's going back many, many years ago now. But as I say, she was 48 at the time, but she did have type 2 diabetes, just diet controlled, uh, no medications um, and, and no insulin. And so just before we get on to diabetes, going back to the two heart attacks by the time you're 50, you said you were fit, you were eating relatively well, probably not the best diet in the world, but you know, probably not diabolical by any stretch. So <laughs> did you have to make any concessions or changes to your lifestyle once, once you had these heart attacks or um, was it very much status quo and just trying to stay as fit and healthy as possible? Well, I did like a good lifestyle. I didn't mind the food and the drink, I can tell you. Um, but I suppose I changed the diet. Um, a bit, and certainly had to cut back on my drinking, although my wife would probably say I don't. But, uh, yeah, I did change my eating habits a bit, but I do enjoy food, um, so I've just got to watch what I eat. I did more so after the type 2 diabetes. I did cut back on, you know, the, the white breads, potatoes, those types of things. I don't I don't have soft drink at all. Uh, I used to probably average a can of soft drink a day prior I don't have soft drink at all now, and I found that that made a, a massive difference. Um, so I do watch my diet, yeah. So with your diagnosis, obviously with your history in paramedicine, um, it's probably a good start to at least having an idea of, of the control of diabetes and these kinds of things. How much did you know about type 2 diabetes? Um Obviously, you know about it probably from the textbooks or whatever that you read and you hear about in terms of your line of work, but then in terms of actually living with it, how different was it as opposed to what you thought it might have been? Well, that's an interesting question. I mean, as a paramedic, you deal with a lot of diabetics and in particular diabetic coma, and, and we dealt with a lot of that. The the um, work that paramedics do now is far greater than what, what we probably did in those days because it was really trying to get some sugar into someone and then transport them to hospital nowadays, they give them IV medications and things like that, which is fantastic. But, you know, I, you know, the type two, look, I think I'm at the lower end of diabetes. That's how I view it. Um, I, I've not, my lifestyle's the same, uh, same as in it doesn't stop me doing anything. I have plenty of energy. I still eat, drink, breathe, you know, do as much as, there's no exercise that I wouldn't attempt to do, apart from the old joints might not cope with it, but... Um, it doesn't stop me doing anything at all. All I've got to make sure is I, I keep an eye on my diet. I keep an eye on my alcohol intake. I take the medications that's been prescribed. I check my bloods every day um, and I regularly see my doctors. So with type 2, um, you talk about you no longer drink soft drink and just l- small changes like that which can make really big differences. Now, obviously, I'm, I'm type 1 myself, so don't have a great understanding of, of type 2. Is the risk of hypo, et cetera, as high for type 2 as it is for type 1, or is that not something that you're having to deal with as much as someone who might be on insulin regularly? Yeah, um, I don't think I have to deal with that as much. I mean, I, as I say, I, I don't have any loss of energy or things like that, um, um, I don't think, because of my type 2. Uh, and even when I exercise or work hard, and like I had a weekend, I had a weekend off, and my wife had been working around the property on the weekend, and you know, out in the sun and doing quite a bit of manual work, and I didn't think I had any issues about energy. So I think with how I've dealt with my diet and what other fluid intakes I have, I probably cope with it okay. 
But if I felt that I was a bit deficient on energy, I would then resort to something like an orange juice or something that might spark me up. But I don't think I've ever had to do that at this stage. So then comparing a, a weekend of work on the mm-hmm. property where you actually are working quite hard and, and you're in the sun and, and there's quite a lot of physical exertion um, compared to a day sitting in in Parliament <laughs> and you're listening to people talk all day, I'm imagining, and, and meetings can be quite strenuous. And you might have that mental exertion, but physically you're not doing as much. Do you have to alter anything in terms of diet or how much exercise, whether you go to the gym beforehand or afterwards, or, or, or does, do these things not really play a part? I know. I'm conscious about being in Parliament and sitting around for long periods of time. The good thing about Parliament House, it has um, a very old lift and it's very slow, so you have to use the stairs a lot. So I'm pretty conscious about trying to use the stairs as much as I can. Um, I do exercise uh, as in walking, and there is a gym in the hotel that I stay in now, so um, so I use the gym. Um, and they're not big workouts. It's just to justify that I think that I do some exercise more than anything. Um, so that's the main thing, that you are conscious that you do sit around a lot. You're in, in meetings a lot. Um, so I do try and get up and, and walk as much as I possibly can. I go back to that point where you're sort of half in jest saying that, you know, you, you're do, doing the gym to make you feel – makes us feel like you're doing a bit. How important do you think that is mentally that you know you're actually doing something? And it might not be, you know, you're not about to go and break the record for the world's strongest man or whatever it is, but in terms of your mental health of, of how you're feeling and just in terms of staying on top of your diabetes and trying to keep fit and healthy, how important is that for you? Oh, look, it's important. I think just the motivation or staying motivated to get up and go and do something is the key issue. Once you... I mean, we talk ourselves out of doing exercise, but once you start the exercise, you sort of thank yourself that you did it. Um, it does make you feel better, both physically and mentally. And I've I've always had this thing about um, physical exercise. There's no limit to physical exercise of what you can put your body through. And uh, not that I, I sort of punish my body like I used to, but, um, oh, look, I, I, I think it's a, a key thing of for a mental point of view and physical point of view. And no matter how hard you go to, at the gym, I mean, um, I just think it's um, refreshing for a start and, you know, you're, you're pleased that you've done it after you've completed it. And I w- again, want to go back to the point you touched on where um, almost the, the intimidation of starting exercise a little bit um, post-diagnosis. We had Nicole French in on a previous episode of the podcast who's an exercise, um, clinical exercise physiologist, and she talks that, you know, a lot of people with diabetes that go and see her just the biggest hump is actually getting started because they're scared mm. about um, blood sugars going too low or mm. they might not see themselves as fit enough to be working mm. with someone like that. Mm. But once you actually get started, you're over the hump and it should get – or mentally it gets a little bit easier. Mm. From going from, say, post-heart attack and, and living a reasonably active and healthy lifestyle to then having diabetes, was it something that you ha- had to get your head around initially that it was a bit different getting back into exercise or, or did you never really stress uh, about Well, that? in my case, as I said before, I've never felt sick. Even after two heart attacks, I didn't feel sick. I went, apart from having a week or two off from work, I virtually went straight back to work, not after the diabetes. I, I didn't have time off with the diabetes. Um, but with the heart attacks, I probably went back to work a week or two after work. I mean, life goes on. I never felt sick, so I never changed anything. Um, and I continued to exercise. Um, I didn't have an issue about blood sugars going low because, as I say, I didn't believe I had diabetes when they diagnosed it. 
um, because I I thought I thought it was seriously. I don't know if I can say, but I thought it was a bit of a when the doctor said we're going to go and give you the glucose test. And anyway, then they come back and said, oh look, you've got type two diabetes. I could be serious, you know. So so I never changed anything. And from that, when you did get your diagnosis, um, a, a two part question. Firstly, how were you diagnosed? Was it just something that they thought they would test for the sake of it? And secondly, I know that you obviously have been exposed to it previously with your mum having had it and then also working as a paramedic. But did you also think there was a little bit of you saying that the stereotypes of type 2 diabetes and that people don't look after themselves, they might be a bit overweight, their diet is poor, did you sort of think that maybe that won't impact you because your lifestyle wasn't as bad as what the stereotype is or – or was that not really the case for yourself? Well, I suppose I would think, apart from stereotyping people in regard to type two, that um, I think there's a greater cross section of people that are diagnosed with type two diabetes nowadays for a range of different reasons. Uh, you know, lifestyles have changed a bit to some degree. In some cases, we're probably a little bit lazier because of the different types of technology that are around and all that sort of stuff. Clearly, our diets have changed. You know, sedentary work and all that sort of stuff, I think, combines to lead to it, you know, genetically. Um, and I think that was probably part of my issue. But how it came about with me was, um, you know, as I said, I mean, I regularly went to the doctors every three, three or four months, six months, something like that. The doctor would, you know, regularly take tests, blood tests. And I think through that trend of having the regular blood test, they picked up that maybe I need to go through the have the glucose test done over that two-hour period where you drink the, the glucose drinks and then they tested me for that and it was an outcome of that process that, that diagnosed it. And as I said before, I was a bit surprised but it didn't change anything for me apart now knowing that I'm a type 2 diabetic and I, I prick my finger every day and I take medications for the rest of my life. And final question on that and your medication, how important is it for you to, again, maybe it's just a mental thing that you are – pricking your finger every day and little things like not having soft drinks and you're taking your medication, you're still getting that exercise that we touched on before. Is that really important for you to feel like you're staying on top of it and at least it feels like you've got a plan? Um, do, you, do you feel like you would sort of lose your way a little bit if you maybe went one or two days without that and sort of got into a bit of a, a less organised or structured type pattern? Well, I like to keep an eye on it myself and see what my readings are and I get a bit paranoid that if my readings get up into the sevens and I think, gee, What's happened here, you know? So, um, so I do try and stay on top of it as much as I possibly can. I'm, I religiously take my medication, so I try to take control. You know, and I, I don't want to progress down the scale of whether I head towards type one. Um, so I'm hopeful I can control it. I, ideally, I'd love to think I could beat it, but we'll see what happens with that. But I'll, you know, I just keep chipping away and take it as it comes and. It will be what it will be, but I manage it really well. It doesn't worry me. I keep doing everything I want to do. And now I want to talk about your mindset. You, you said a couple of times, you know, just there, you said what will be will be, and, and it's very matter of fact. Um, you spoke about both the diabetes and your heart attacks where um, you've had the mindset where you just got to get on with it and, and accept it. Um, you know, talk us through that mindset a little bit in more detail in terms of it seems like you just deal with it and go, well, I've got this, I can't change that, so I just have to deal with it in the best way I possibly can. Oh, look, I suppose I go back to my paramedic days and that is that you see a whole range of different pe different people suffering with different ailments, you know, um, some serious, not so serious, and it's about how you, you know, I, I can curl up in a little ball in the corner and suffer with two heart attacks and, and type 2 diabetes and be worse because I feel sorry for myself or I don't want to get on and 
and help myself. I just look at it. Look, the reality of the world is we we're all on this world breathing and and a heartbeat until the time that it stops. Well, I'm going to give it the best shake that I can, no matter what happens. Um, the two heart attacks, I was lucky. I didn't have heart muscle knocked out that was going to affect me in the longer term. Um, so I got over that. We've responded to that. What happens in the future with my heart? Well, it's 61 years of age now, the heart, so it hasn't done too bad. So hopefully we'll get a few more years out of it. Um, and with the diabetes, as I say, I've never felt sick with it. Um, so I don't think about it apart from managing it. And I just think if you get on, if you have a positive attitude, um, then it goes a long way to moving on in life. If you stay on top of your management program, don't get too paranoid about it because I have never been paranoid about it. I can't change what's happened. It's happened. All I can change and manage is what's going to happen in the future. And I love life. Uh, as I say, I like my eating. I like my drinking. I like my exercise. I love living. Um, and um, I'll make the most of it while I'm here. Controlling the controllables, I suppose, yeah. is what it's all about. But I guess also trying to show, or not trying to show, showing other people out there living with diabetes that um, just because you've got it, it doesn't have to stop you living the life that you want. And, you know, it's it's not impacting you in days at Parliament. It's not impacting you with enjoying your food or enjoying a drink here and there or whatever else that might be, your, your exercise that you do enjoy as well. Yeah, exactly. And uh, and as I say, I manage it. I have regular eye tests. I make sure that I have regular blood tests. You know, as I say, I, I check my my levels every day. I take my medications. I exercise. Um, it's To me, it's not a life sentence. And it doesn't matter if it is. At the end of the day, we've all got a life sentence. It's just about how we complete our life. Uh, and I want to go through life as positive as I can, as best I can. We all have our ups and downs. Um, but as I say, it's not stopped me doing anything and it won't stop me doing anything. It's a great outlook and I must admit I, I do love do love hearing it. It's very matter of fact, but you are right. It, it can't be changed and if you're dealing and controlling everything that you can control, hopefully the rest works out itself. I want to talk briefly before we finish up about diabetes and work. So I know that um, – Whenever I meet other people with diabetes, particularly type one, um, and again, particularly footballers, you almost feel like your best friends with them before you ever meet them. And um, you feel like you're in it together and you've got a real soft spot and, and probably a bit of, um, you're a bit one-eyed and a bit biased towards the diabetes community. Obviously, being in parliament and being an MP, anything from uh, what may or may not be, I guess, advocated for the PBS or uh, what sort of um, health and exercise stuff, that, you know, obviously it being such an important factor of living with diabetes, do you find it hard to separate your potential bias and one-eyedness for looking after people in the diabetes community with, with work? Well, let me just say, I'll, I'll just make a general comment about health and welfare, and, I've, and I suppose it goes back to pre-political days. I never understand why governments collectively do not put more money into prevention rather than we pay more money after the fact of the health cycle, of people revolving through the health cycle. Um, so I suppose what I mean by that is that if if people could um, be prevented from coming down with different ailments, whether that be type 2 diabetes or whether that be some other issue, cardiac issues or any other issues, joint issues, whatever, um, then to me we'd be saving many, many billions of dollars in patching up the problems down the line. Uh, and I'd love to see more money redirected to the upfront 
of the health cycle. Now that comes back to the responsibilities of people also that they have to be responsible and and um, to some degree look after themselves, make sure they manage their health and welfare better, see a doctor regularly. And I was a typical male. I mean, you know, I said I had a heart attack at forty five. I probably hadn't been to a doctor for over twenty years prior to that. Um, the only time I would have been to a doctor is through football injuries. Why would a male between twenty and forty go to the doctor if he didn't feel sick? I didn't go to the doctor. I was stupid, you know. Um, apart from you know knee injuries or arm injuries or hand injuries or things like that, I never went to the doctor. So I think it's a I think it's a key issue that educate. I know we're educating people better and trying to encourage males to do it, but it's not just males. People in general about you know making sure that they have regular reviews on their health and welfare and things like that. It's funny you mentioned that, actually. I, it's one thing I, I look back on for my story, and I was 20 years old at, at the time of diagnosis. Um, I was two weeks before turning 21, and you're in your third year of playing AFL and you're young, you're fit, you're healthy, you're strong, um, you think you're invincible, you think mm. you're Superman a bit. And I know for a fact that if I didn't have a club doctor at mm. training – who I just literally walked past in the corridor and, and would speak to, hey, I just don't feel quite right. Mm. I would never have gone to see a doctor because I just didn't think I was that bad. Right. And I think it's a bit of pride where you say, I'm a, oh, I don't need to see a doctor, I'm okay. But that probably is one really good message in terms of it is men, women and everyone, but particularly men, I think, and particularly young men as well, that get yourself checked out and, and nothing is too trivial, nothing is – um, not worth getting checked out because you just don't know exactly where it might lead. Because I certainly wouldn't have expected that I had diabetes, and I'm, you know, from your story, you you still don't yeah. think it almost really. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, and then you know, between your twenties and thirties, you know, you're at your peak fitness uh, when you're playing sport and things like that. I'd never been fitter. Um, you know, in my in my early thirties, that was probably the fittest I've ever been. I never had any inclination of going to a doctor. What am I going to tell the doctor? You know, they check, you know, do a checkup and they say, how are you feeling? So, Fantastic. I feel like an imposter, but what am I doing here? You know, so so that's, that was my attitude at that stage. But again, of course, you get to 45 and you have a heart attack and you think, oh, well, maybe I should have been to the doctors, you know, so yeah. <laughs> anyway. Absolutely, mate, absolutely. <laughs> We're just about running out of time and, and I've loved hearing um, not only your story, um, professionally, your diabetes story, but also your outlook and, and how you measure it and just getting on with life and not letting it impact you. Is there anything else you wanted to to leave with listeners, whether it be a takeaway message or whatever it might be? It might be as simple as go and get yourself checked out. If in doubt, the floor is yours. Yeah, no, thanks, Jack. Uh, look, I just think this is a, um, a terrific service in regard to just talking to people about their experiences and uh, and what you impart on people that are suffering with diabetes. But I just say don't suffer. You know, you can manage it. And you can have a great life and, and a great lifestyle. And I just think make the most of your lifestyle. I think it's a pretty good way to finish up there. So thank you so much for joining me. It's great to have you on. And, and I have genuinely loved hearing your outlook and, and just your take on it. Um, and I'm hopeful and, and pretty sure that all the listeners out there um, have certainly got something out of it as well. So thank you to joining us. Thanks to the listeners for joining us. And uh, no doubt we'll uh, look forward to uh, coming back with another Diabetes Victoria Living Well with Diabetes podcast. Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed the program. If you'd like to contact us, it's very easy. Simply send an email to podcasts at diabetesvic.org.au or, of course, all the information you'll need is on the website, diabetesvic.org.au.